Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Satellite, Profile Theater's online supplementary magazine. Satellite is where you will come for interviews with artists, activists, and educators, and whoever else might give you a deeper understanding of the work that Profile puts on the stage or in these troubled times over the internet. At Profile Theater, we spend an entire season exploring the work of a given playwright. Our best artists help us see. And at Profile, each year, we use a different writer's unique perspective as a lens that helps us see our shared world in new and surprising ways. With Satellite, Profile is always looking for new avenues to deepen our audience's experience of the art, pulling back the curtain, providing insight, and giving our audience a glimpse of the act of creation. And now, welcome to Satellite. Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Satellite, Profile Theater's on-air magazine. This month, our interviews orbit our upcoming production of Welcome to Arroyos by Christopher Diaz, directed by yours truly, Bobby Bermea. Today, we'll be talking to playwright Christopher Diaz, who joined us to talk about his play, The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity, last fall. For those of you joining us for the first time, Christopher Diaz is a New York-based playwright, screenwriter, and educator. He's been a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in Drama and winner of Lucille Lortel, Obie, and New York Times Outstanding Playwright Awards, to name just a few. We talk about what inspired Arroyos, New York, his own Puerto Rican heritage, and of course, his love of hip-hop music. Well, Christopher Diaz, welcome back to Profile Theater. Thank you. It's exciting to, to be virtually back in the mix again. Yep. And, um, uh, of course, we did uh, Chad Dini earlier this year, um, which was a rousing success. Um, and now we're um, going to be looking at a play that is earlier in your canon, the, the Christopher Diaz canon. Um, uh, and you said, I, I think this was the first play that you had that, yeah, that was completed and produced and... Yeah, so it was the first. So, Welcome to Royals is the first play that I, the first full length play that I ever wrote. Um, I wrote it while I was a grad student at NYU, um, and then right after grad and right after grad school, um, it went on to get developed a bunch of times. Um, uh, theater in in New York City that no longer is around called the Lark. We did some stuff at South Coast Repertory, um, but the play never got fully produced until after Chad Deity got produced. Uh, and then we got a production in Chicago. So uh, first one written, but um, took a while for it to actually get up on speed. I didn't know the Lark wasn't around anymore. It's very, very sad over the, uh, oh, I guess over the pan- pandemic, maybe towards somewhere in the middle of it, uh, they shut down and it's it's a big loss. For yeah, that's a big loss. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, so I'm curious, like you were uh, a young writer I'm working on a lot of stuff. Why was it Welcome to Arroyos? Well, um, why was that the one that you put the extra time in and and completed that one? Yeah, it's it's um, it's a great question, and I think it's you know some of it is is the luck of when you're young figuring out what it is you want to write about. You know, I grew up um, during the heart of you know hip hop's golden age, um, so I. I'm born in 1977, you know, a lot of the earliest sort of uh, uh, foundations of hip hop happen are born right around the same time um, in the Bronx. And I was in I was in Yonkers, which is, you know, a a suburb 10 minutes away from the Bronx. 
And um, so we grew, me and, and, and hip hop music and culture sort of grew up around the same time. Um, I, you know, become, uh, I get into hip hop really around 11, 12 years old, which is right around when, you know, sort of the golden age of hip hop really begins. So like 88 through 93, 94, um, it really, you know, this music and this culture sort of helped form and shape my identity. Um, all that said, by the time I get to graduate school, I didn't have it in my frame of reference that that was something that you could write about. You know, like you see lots of theater and you think that theater looks and feels a certain way and is about certain ideas. And you got to write that play about like the family losing their house or, you know, whatever that is. And um, it took me a little while to recognize that uh writers are supposed to write about things they know about and 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 hip-hop and community and art um all those things that that ultimately uh welcome to rose would be about those are the things that i knew about and were immersed in at the time so um i think digging into you know just finding the things that i that i cared about uh led me uh down this path to this play uh and because because you were talking about how you uh, wrote this while you were in school mm -hmm. so did this journey that, that uh to finding out to find out that i should write about what i know because um uh, even that means did that happen in school or did it happen um uh it was like like, in, like 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 in a specific class or did it happen outside of the class like were you just like did you get like frustrated like whatever i'm do, trying to do over here is not working and so i'm sorry i wind up over here that's exactly what what happened. You know, I think, you know, I was, I was writing and trying a bunch of different stuff. Um, you know, you, in graduate school, you write a bunch of short plays first. And I was writing a bunch of short plays that were sort of all over the place. But, um, but in school, uh, there weren't professors who knew hip hop, who knew hip hop or knew hip hop theater for sure. You know, um, there just wasn't that kind of cultural expression. Also, the play is largely not just about hip hop culture, but about Puerto Ricans in hip hop, about the New Yorkian experience, um, you know, all these these things that are culturally specific to me. And uh, I certainly wasn't getting classes in that. And that's not a flaw of the institution. That's just not, you know, it's just not what it is. Uh, it's not what they were offering. So what I was lucky to have at the same time, I was in New York City. I was seeing a ton of work throughout the city. And um, some of the work that I was seeing happened to be by artists, artists of color, a lot of artists who happen to be um, solo performers. So folks like John Leguizamo, uh, folks like Danny Hawk, who's sort of credited with really creating in a lot of ways the, the, the vernacular, at least, of hip hop theater and the hip hop theater festival. Um, folks like Sarah Jones, uh, just these artists who were making um, theater about who they were and about uh, what they cared about. So I knew that I wasn't going to be a solo performer. I knew I wasn't going to write a piece for myself to perform on stage, but I knew that I wanted to write pieces that embraced those kinds of cultures and those kinds of aspects of myself like everybody else. So I learned the tools in the classroom and I learned the the, the content, I guess, um, both from like my own life and from seeing other folks uh, making similar kinds of things out in the real world. Did you find... Um initial resistance on the outset is like you know um you know of course like this uh like for myself just so much of what's so interesting about christopher diaz to me is like this guy's writing about basketball he's writing about uh, professional wrestling he's writing about hip-hop music um was there any kind of like like kind of like you were talking about earlier was it like resistance was anybody saying like you can't write about this stuff for theater no, <clears throat> weirdly, no. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it was, 
but I got, um, you know, maybe lucky. I think a lot of times writers run into the wrong feedback early on. And, um, you know, the wrong feedback being feedback that shuts, that shuts you down from making what you want to make. It's not necessarily just about like, this is the way to write a play or, you know, but, but any feedback that you get or that you give, I think about this a lot as a professor now, that makes somebody not want to write the thing that they're writing is pretty destructive feedback. And I was lucky not to get that. Um, I had more than one professor who said, I have no idea what this is or what this means, um, but I recognize what you're trying to do. And the, formally, this play and, and Chad Deity and, and Reggie Hoops, which we're going to do in a couple, you know, in, uh, in next season, um, are they're not groundbreaking plays formally. They're, they're <laughs> traditionally told stories. There's a character who wants a thing and goes after that thing, and other people either get in the way of that or help them out. You know, so they're they're pretty straightforward. And welcome to to welcome to Royals is a little more. Um, I don't know if experimental is the right word, but it, Welcome to Royal takes a few more risks than some of the other plays do. Um, but uh, uh, but it's more content than anything else. It's, there's a lot of bad language. There's a lot of hip hop elements in the, in the play. So there's graffiti on stage and there's the story is told um, with these two DJs who are remixing scenes and moving things around, which feels, you know, formally inventive, I guess, but, you know, it's feel, also to me, it feels sort of just natural in the way that my brain works. Um, so I would have professors who would kind of say, like, I don't exactly know what you mean when you say that this scene is remixed, but I think that you know what you mean. I think that you are in control of what this this idea is. And so they would help me more try to shape, you know, are you trying to tell a traditional narrative? Or is this character moving from point A to point C over the course of the play? And is that, you know, we can help you on that front. So I, I was pretty lucky that I didn't get shut down. Um, I've seen lots of other artists who, who have run into that stuff. And, um, you know, we, part of, part of the reason I think why all these plays that have made it through on my end, um, have made it through is because I, I've been pretty well supported by, uh, by, by, by the folks around it. Well, that's, that's amazing. Uh, um, do you have a take then? Uh, like, 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 um, we can't be the only two theater artists in the world who like, who like wrestling or sports or whatever it is, how come nobody else is writing about this stuff? People are, you know, I think people always are. And, and part of what I was lucky about as well, when, um, when I was making uh, Royals especially, is there was this great movement in New York City called Hip Hop Theater, called the Hip Hop Theater Festival. There's an organization started by Danny Hawk and Camilla Forbes um, and Clyde Valentine. Camilla Forbes, who now runs uh, the Apollo, and Clyde Valentine is doing big things out in Dallas right now. Um, and folks like Issa Davis and folks like Universes, who are a hip hop spoken word performance collective out of the Bronx, who are just like the most amazing performers in the world. Years later, there was there was Deaf Poetry Jam and um, folks like the Q Brothers who were doing the Bombity of Errors and they keep continuing doing like all their hip hop stuff. I remember Bombity. Yeah, Bombity's incredible, you know, all this stuff. So all this stuff was happening. And then there were folks like Lin-Manuel Miranda, who people may have heard of, who were taking some of this in as well and doing Freestyle Love Supreme. So it's out there in the world. And then, the, you know, and I'm, I'm barely scratching the surface. Like Baba Israel was making this, but there's all these incredible folks making this work. So it was out there. Um, luckily it was that a big presence in New York, um, and, uh, also in San Francisco, the Bay area, I think there were some in DC, some, you know, so there were, there were these pockets of it, but so much of making, um, work, especially as a young person, I think is finding, uh, the communities that understand what you're doing and understand how to sort of push this through. 
we did have stuff we had to figure out, right? So in those early days, um, what didn't really seem to exist on stage was a simple way to do DJing in the course of the play. So we had DJs on stage and we had them actually running the sound um, cues and playing records from the stage. And to find a way to do that in a small theater like the Lark was incredibly challenging, you know? So now, you know, some tech, some of the technology that exists, I'm looking at GarageBand on my computer or looking at these things, you know, it's a lot easier to sort of do things with a laptop. Um, but uh, we had DJs and sound designers, a guy named Hillel Meltzer, who was in the original cast, who really just came up with these systems to DJ and do this, all this as well. So there is a little bit of that kind of barrier to entry too. But I, I think folks are out there in the world making this stuff. And the more we start to do it, the more plays like the Royal of the Deity get out, we start to find the pockets of other artists who want to do this kind of work. And then hopefully theaters uh, and funders can, in, can invest in those folks and let them make more stuff. Um, and you, you kind of alluded to this earlier that this, like, Arroyos is a very personal play for you. Are there any elements of this play that are autobiographical or what parts are? You know, like, we, we know that most writers, like, most characters have some part of the writer in them. Um, but for you, like, what parts of this play are autobiographical or not? No, so it's, it's, it's you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great question. It's an important question for every play. And I think you're right on, like, most of the time plays that are really sort of heartfelt. Every character has a little bit of you in them, right? Every character has a little bit of, of, of an aspect of your personality. Um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not, I never owned a bar. My parents never owned a bodega in the Lower East Side. And, you know, so all these things that um, the specifics of the play are not based on me. But, um, you know, there, there's a character in the play uh, named Lely Santiago, who is a, a uh, New Yorkian, Puerto Rican, a woman of Puerto Rican descent, whose family moved from, I think, the Lower East Side. Not, I think, who moved from the Lower East Side, uh, which is a, a big, um, uh, heavily uh, Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican influenced neighborhood in downtown New York City. Her family moved out to the suburbs, and um, and my family did that. My family moved from the Bronx out to the suburbs. And it's a big part of what I've grappled with, certainly early on in my um, academic career, my artistic career, was this sense of being of multiple worlds. I would hang out with my cousins and my family in the Bronx, and I would feel like the, you know, the whitest white kid in the world around these like, just cool, you know, New Yorkers. And then I would come back to my neighborhood where my best friends were, you know, three Jewish kids, and I felt like the most exotic, authentic, <laughs> rough, hard dude around, right? Well, you know, I was still nerdy, you know, whatever, but I carried the stuff from my cousins in the Bronx to my friends, you know, back in Yonkers and vice versa. And so that sense of like never knowing exactly where you fit and where you stand and who you were supposed to be in each of those moments, all the code switching that goes on, um, that sort of found its way into, into Lely. And at the time I wrote this play, you know, I was at NYU, which is in the, the, the village, which is downtown and is very close to the Lower East Side. Uh, and the Lower East Side was gentrifying. And I had family in that neighborhood. I still have family in that neighborhood. We've had family who lived in the projects in that neighborhood in the very Puerto Rican neighborhoods, uh, Puerto Rican sections of that neighborhood. But I was coming back to that neighborhood as you know, the quote unquote rich suburban kid, not rich, but relatively, um, you know, suburban kid who was going to NYU and was going out to these bars at places where, you know, it, they used to just be, you know, neighborhood folks. I would go to these like 
faux biker bars or these faux like so this Australian bar, you know, like all these like places that were not authentic. They were not, you know, of my culture. And so I had to grapple with this. Like, what does it mean for me to, to feel like I'm the gentrifier that's tearing up the neighborhood that my family lived in that I come out of? Um, and it's complicated. So um, so Lely sort of got to hold a lot of that stuff. So that that part, you know, um, that part I think is emotionally autobiographical. All the specifics are are, are uh, fiction. made up. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. All the stuff. There's a, there's a there's a there's a hidden history of hip hop that goes in within the play, and all that stuff is again uh, false. It's fictional. It's generated, but it's all based on real stuff that could have happened. Like uh, Arena Ray is the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Is is there is that a real New York legend? It's not based on anybody specific, but you know, it's based on two big ideas and, and, and Lully talks a little bit about it in the play, but you know, we look back at the history of hip hop and obviously rightfully so, we think of it as uh, an African American cultural and musical tradition, and it is, and that's where you know so much of it starts. You know, folks from the Caribbean and folks from um, you know, from the Bronx and, and, and surrounding neighborhoods. And so much of it is black art form, but when you think about where this was created in the late 70s in New York City in the Bronx, like it's Puerto Ricans, like the Puerto Ricans are just around there. And when you think about, you know, even the idea of the break dancer, you think about what a DJ's job was in those early days, it was to extend the good part of the record so that folks could dance to it. You know, so they would take the hook of a James Brown, you know, horn sample and just say, oh, I love this part, play it over and over and over again. Well, those dancers, those folks that were dancing to those breakbeats were largely Puerto Rican, not only, but largely. So so we were around. And so knowing that idea um, uh, that sometimes doesn't get sort of like all of its sort of full play in uh, in the traditions and histories of, of hip hop, I wanted to sort of play with that. Also knowing that like, it's a largely young male form, but there were women involved in this too. Women of all different, you know, of, of different races, different backgrounds, black and Latino, um, young folks, young women. And knowing that there just that presence meant that there was a good possibility that there was some, even if it was just at one party somewhere that some young 17 year old Puerto Rican girl picked up a microphone and rocked it and just killed it. And and that it wouldn't necessarily be surprising that even if she did that, that we wouldn't have historical documentation of it. Right. Not have done it for a long time. The guys might not have given her credit, whatever. Um, so playing just with those possibilities that, again, like we don't know for sure. We know that there are lots of women and we have lots of documentation of women in Puerto Rican women and Latino women and Latino women in um, in the graffiti world, especially folks like Lady Pink and you know other sort of names that are out there. We don't have a specific one of these, but it, it wouldn't be shocking to me if this kind of information was uncovered someday. Right, you know, because like what you're saying, like I mean, there were either, there, there, there's even going to be like hundreds or even thousands of say black men who are involved in the hip hop who who we never hear about. Yeah. You know, um, and for every like uh, like like let's like, say like the Rocksteady Crew. Which I guess I I don't know if they're put they're put they're they were Puerto Rican, but I thought they were. Um, uh, for 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 them to you know they made it to the front, but they had to come out of a pool of other people, you know. Um, so that that makes a lot of, se of sense to me. Uh, and of course the super uh, interesting part of the play. Um, can you? Uh, I um, 
really love all these characters. Like, I, I think they're all just, you know, um, and it's a rare play that I enjoy, even though I want all, I want all the characters to succeed. I want them all to get what they want. Um, but the, at, at the end, it's kind it's a little ambiguous. Um, uh, do you ever have, do you ever have any plans of ever like revisiting any of these characters again and seeing what happened to them? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Um, you know, we've, me and, and other folks who've been around it, we've always sort of thought about sort of the the, the way that this continues. And, you know, I, I agree. Like, I love these folks. I love all six of these characters. I love them together. I love them in different combinations when they play together. Um, you know, and I, 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 it, I think it's a pretty optimistic play. Um, and it's a play about community. And so, you know, there's been a lot of talk as we talk, you know, we joke around like, it's cheers like ultimately the place that it ends is that it's you know it's a tv show it's like cheers there's just a group of folks who are together in that place where everybody knows your name is like what royals wants to ultimately be so you know whether that means like exploring these same folks going back to the early 2000s and thinking about you know what does what was the rest of their life look like um or revisiting them later on revisiting what happened if we think about the neighborhood that neighborhood has changed a ton. I go down there and it's unrecognizable and um, all that gentrification stuff that I was talking about being at the early sort of stages has really taken hold and that neighborhood has still changed. So are there stories about digging in and fighting for your, you know, fighting for your space and maintaining tradition? I think there's a lot of room there. And, um, you know, I would have loved to dig back in with these guys. They're, they're fun. There's some of my favorite, you know, uh, Chad Deity is, Chad Deity is the play that gave me a career. Um, and I, I love it for a lot of other reasons, but this play, you know, I, is my baby. And these characters are the first times I really understood how to write real, fully fledged, three-dimensional people. So I, I'd love to revisit them anytime. Fantastic. One last question. Um, you, uh, you you grew up in the Lower East Side. You're, um, you work in a performing art. Uh, you work with words. Do you ever think about doing hip hop yourself how uh like like what like like what where did the turn happen and you said hip hop played a big part in your life growing up how'd you wind up writing plays instead of uh rocking on the mic yeah you know i i grew up i grew up in yonkers and and spent a lot of time in the bronx and then spent some time you know i just spent some time down there but i think i was i was never confident enough to get up and actually like freestyle or perform or anything like that. I acted a little in high school, but you know, even that, like not in a, not in a big way. Um, I'm not a, I'm not an out front of things kind of guy, you know? And so when I got to college, I was originally thinking that I was going to maybe study acting a little bit. But um, when I saw what my other friends who were actors had to do to maintain that career, um, it was not what I wanted to do. The kind of stuff that an actor has to do, just even just taking care of your body the in, a, in that way or presenting yourself or going to auditions wasn't what I was interested in. And I stumbled into writing um, and taking a few classes and um, then, you know, getting into graduate school made all the difference in the world. So I've always felt more comfortable expressing myself in words um, uh, on the page that I, that I, that I, you know, toiled over um, to try to make sense of who I was and, and make sense of what I was trying to say, um, rather than getting up there and doing it myself. So, you know, I, I, I've been lucky again to find ways to bring hip hop into shows. Welcome to Royals was the first time that I realized like I could write um, rhymes that like 
were sort of self-aware and a little playful and they didn't have to be like brilliant multi-syllabic backpack rapper you know i didn't have to be big pun to like try to <laughs> i could write rhymes in the voices of characters and have them express themselves that way which was a big eye-opening thing for me um and then now I've, as i work i'm working more on uh moving more into sort of like the musical space and finding ways to write to utilize hip-hop again in the voices of characters uh to create songs that way but i'm just not you know i'm not a performer uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a writer. So, uh, it's nice to be able to use those elements in different kinds of ways. Right on. Well, Chris Diaz, I, I think that's, you know, all we need for today. I want to say thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, you know, looking forward to doing a few more of these. We got, a, we got some more stuff coming down the pipe. Thanks so much to Christopher Diaz for taking time to be with us. His play, Welcome to Arroyos, runs February 9th through the 26th. Check out ProfileTheater.org for tickets and tune in next week when I'll be talking to two of Portland's premier hip-hop artists who we were lucky enough to get to play the hip-hop Greek chorus in Arroyos. They talk about the Portland hip-hop scene and what it's been like to make their theatrical debut. Keep an eye out for that next week and we'll see you then. One love and peace out.